On today's episode of Survival Dispatch News, we are discussing Mexican cartel. Hey guys, today's video is sponsored by EliteSurvival.com. As always, we want you to know we were not paid to feature uh, these products in this video, but they did send us one of their backpacks for evaluation, and this is one of them. This is the Elite Survival Guardian EDC backpack. It's a 25-liter laptop and concealed carry pack with lots of great features. I've got it open so you can see all these compartments. It's very well made. It's got heavy-duty zippers. It's got this really cool concealed pistol compartment here that's ambidextrous by the way it's actually got a, like a internal holster really neat it's got lots of molly as you can see on the front here and on the sides for accessories it's got dual water bottle or accessory pockets whatever you want to put in the sides and they're available in several different colors and patterns make sure you check out the elite survival edc backpack in the link and thanks for watching and we're back on today's episode of Survival Dispatch News, we're discussing the recent uh, cartel violence in Mexico and uh, other information that's related to that. We're joined by Tyler White from TJAX Survival and Lane Kelly from Roundtable Munitions. Uh, Tyler, since you know more on this subject than the rest of us, uh, give us an overview of what's going on in Mexico with these cartels. So specifically in with the Sinaloan cartel and in Sinaloa, it's actually a location, not specifically just a, a cartel. Um, Chapo Guzman's son was rolled up by the federal government in Mexico and they tried to transfer him. They're trying to extradite him. Um, a really good place to see video on this is Ed's manifesto on Instagram. And he's just got a ton of cell phone footage of, um helicopters with miniguns shooting against the cartels the cartels using 50 cals to try to knock planes out of the sky <clears throat> there's uh videos of people just civilians in airplanes that were landing at the airport trying to take cover from bullets that are coming in the side of the thing um it looked my first thought is oh that looks like an afghan op like it looks exactly like when a special forces team rolls up in afghanistan and tries to take out a a target like it was just solid warfare happening so and probably worth that, mentioning there tyler though that you were deployed to afghanistan yeah. so you're speaking from a first-hand perspective right yeah I, I i've been to afghanistan multiple times uh with special forces unit and as a um a, a military contractor so i've seen a lot of this stuff and you don't have to go to Afghanistan to see it. You can just pull up Bunker Tactical and watch this stuff. And it basically looks like the same thing. Um, what that means for us, a lot of people don't realize the level of violence and death that are happening in Mexico um, on a constant and have been happening for many, many years. Granted, the majority of it is between the cartels and the federal government. There's always spillover. There's always a tourist that gets caught in the mix. Um, there's a, there is a, a lake on in southern Texas, where a few years ago, when I was down in Texas, one of the tourists on a, a jet ski got shot because they 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 claimed the cartels claimed that they thought he was uh, a drug runner from a rival cartel. Um, whatever hey, the excuse, yeah. Tyler, if, if this has been going on for years and years, why is it becoming such a a, a front now? We're not seeing it in the the mainstream media, mind you, but. Well, why is it becoming such an issue now? 
specifically because they rolled up Guzman's uh, son. So the cartel activated. They tried to take over the uh, the airport in the same, basically the same way we, the U.S. military, did when we went to Iraq in Baghdad and took over the airport. Right? Because if they take right. over the airport, they can't fly them out. Um, and Denny was, or uh, Chris was just talking about how he had he saw some news where um, they decided not to extradite into the U.S. It's inevitable if if in my opinion, if they don't extradite him and he ends up in a Mexican prison, he's just going to get broken out. There's enough money and in, in influence that, I mean, how many times did his dad do that? So essentially when the cartel leader gets rolled up, like the cartel fights to, to get him back. And that's essentially what we're seeing right now. Um, the other stuff we've been seeing over the few years have been uh, cartels dwindling and others taking over their place. As an example, the Zetas way back in the day were initially populated by uh, Mexican federal police that were trained by the U.S. military to take over the cartel. And they, they were fairly effective at it because they had special forces training. They took over the cartel. But then they realized that grass is greener on the other side, I guess, and got a lot more money. And uh, the money basically fueled the special forces trained soldiers to come work work for the cartel instead of attacking the cartels. And that's that's how we got the Zetas. And when we have when we have one cartel growing, it's going to push the other car- cartel out. When that happens, you get a lot of death, a lot of fighting, a lot of shooting. And that's the stuff we've been seeing historically um, taking over uh, the federal government of Mexico, taking over uh, or capturing the current cartel leader is what has caused the, the recent violence that we've seen over, I think, since the 5th of January, so like the last five days. <clears throat> yeah, and I the last headline that I saw said that um, the extradition of El Chapo's son to America was now, you know, paused, may not happen at all, essentially. Um, so some element yeah. of success on the part of the cartel in preventing that extradition, I guess. And that's a bad sign because, yeah, it, it lets lets it lets us know that what they were trying to do worked. So if we push that into the U.S. and I'll, we were talking earlier about uh, Northern California, um, California is kind of nationally known. They legalized pot and they were nationally known up in Humboldt before they legalized pot for all the illegal pot growth that they were growing. So there was already. Uh, multiple gangs operating, gangs and cartels, I'm going to kind of lump them together, that were operating in Northern California and that were growing pot already. So it's just inevitable if they legalize it, they're going to use that to their advantage. They're going to, part of the legalization process essentially made it so if you had possession of pot, it was was only like a $200 or a $500 fine. Well, if you've got a multi-million dollar operation and you're in possession of it they're just going to pay that fine and drive on especially if the cartels and the gangs are not paying taxes not doing it legally like the other legal growers are the overhead is next to none and i'll kind of address that a little bit um there is a Hmong gang or group in northern california that will bring um they will bring uh, people in illegally and have them, they'll take their visas away and have them work on, on the uh, pot grows and they'll keep them there for months at a time. And then um, 
they'll just basically never pay them. So they've got free labor. They're not paying taxes. There's no overhead. They're stealing water from the local uh, farmers that are growing, that are trying to grow whatever else legally. And it basically un- undercuts the, the the legalized pot growers that are trying to do it legally in, in, in that state. <clears throat> and the problem is that because there's so much money, it's growing exponentially, whether it's an all Hispanic gang or a Hmong gang or a cartel, um, they all end up working with each other. One of them is maybe one gang will grow it. Another gang will transport it. And a third gang will uh, distribute it. And we, I saw stuff like this in uh, Northern Africa and uh, Afghanistan with the, um, the opium one, a farmer would grow it. He would sell it to a stranger in a bazaar. That stranger would transport it into another country and sell it to another stranger in another bazaar. That stranger would sell it to Mexican cartels and they would take it to Europe or whatever. The point is the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. So it's really hard to track and trace and to follow up on. Um, And that inevitably creates violence, turf wars that inevitably creates ecological disasters because They'll use super powerful, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Fertilizer? Yes. They'll use super powerful illegal in other countries fertilizer in order to grow the pot quick because um, they know they're doing it illegal. They want to they wanna get their crop in quick. And then that's dangerous to the end user. So if you're smoking or consuming pot from one of these places that did it illegal, there's a high probability that it's full of carcinogenic stuff. It's basically like uh, getting a cow, pumping it full of steroids so that you can grow it quick and send it to the butcher. Um, it's not the most healthy way to pull this stuff off. <clears throat> so. so, I mean, we started Survival Dispatch News to highlight stuff that's current events that are happening and try to tie it back to individuals as far as what we can do to be prepared, you know, what can we do to, uh, you know, protect ourselves, those sort of things. So how's the average American, you know, tied to these, these illegal grow ops and drug distribution networks and so on and so forth. So I like to equate it with, when I worked in law enforcement, we went through training on how to pick locks, how to, to use shims on uh, handcuffs, how to just all, all the different ways that you can overcome restraints. And we didn't necessarily do that because we we're going to be in restraints. We did that so that we could recognize the tools, right? So if I see a tool that could be used as a shim, or if I see an actual shim, or if I see one of those little plastic handcuffs keys as a law enforcement officer, I know that I need to take it from the person that I put into handcuffs because they're just going to get out and, you know, kill me from behind my seat when I'm driving, driving them to the prison. So in the same way that you need to know what the tools are, what it looks like, you need to know the evidence of it so you can recognize escape innovation tools. It would be the same thing with the grows, right? So if you're hiking and you run into one plant, that's possibly wild, especially in that part of California. They pot grew, pot grew wild back in the day. But if you run into an acre of it, that doesn't happen in nature, right? Nature doesn't grow a big square acre of pot all in rows. 
And if you run into something like that, you need to immediately know what, what you're, what you're looking at and leave. Because as you were saying earlier, um, one of the biggest dangers of bumping into something like that is the fact that now you know where it's at and they don't know if you're just going to go home and shut your mouth or if you're going to go home and report it or what's going to happen. And it literally could get you killed. Um, so when it comes to preparing against that stuff, the first step is know that it, know that it's happening, know that it exists. Don't be running around in condition one thinking that everything's happy and hunky dory. Know that stuff out there exists and just pay attention to it. And if you're recognizing it, I'm not saying engage. I'm not saying get involved. That's got to be your decision. But you can't do anything if you don't see what's happening to begin with, right? What I'm hearing is that for, for a hillbilly in Tennessee, the best thing I can do is, one, educate myself on on you know, the possibilities of what could be around and heighten my awareness um, to, to the areas that I'm in, uh, short of that, we prep with a lot of these. There's nothing. <laughs> there's, there's nothing. There's nothing else I can really do except protect myself, protect my family and be aware and educated. Right. And the other thing too is, um, recognize it. Um, in Northern California, they have these, there's one city specifically, and I wish I could remember there was a, a video I watched on it recently that, um, that had a big influx of people that aren't normally there, right? So if you're living in Tennessee and suddenly, uh, I don't know, I don't know what the ethnic group is around you, and I don't want this to sound like a racist thing, right? If you have a predominant, like I grew up in southeastern Idaho. There's a lot of Hispanic, a lot of Native American, and a lot of white people. That's normal. That was what's there. If I suddenly saw a lot of Asian people move in, it's not saying Asian people are bad, but if all those people are involved in the pot grow, that's, that's an indicator. Same thing with black or even European, right? Just people that don't fit in the local group, that's an indicator. And again, I'm not trying to sound like, oh, you know, the, the whatever ethnicity moved in. That's not my point. My point is when you see a large group of them move in and you know that there's an association you can start to recognize the trend and what's happening. And the, the anti-racism laws in Northern California, which are a good thing, are fighting against them in this specific instance because they're, they're basically saying, hey, right, like the, the problem of having Northern California is, is a Hmong group. And if they all say, oh, the Asian people here have moved in and whatever, it sounds like racism. And the reality is it's one big family that is illegally growing uh, pot where it could be grown legally and as such they're they're overthrowing voting because now there's so many people in this small town that they swung the vote right it's kind of like if you have a town of 500 people and you run for sheriff and you put a thousand of your relatives move into that town you're going to be sheriff because they're going to vote for you so those are the second and third order of effects that you should pay attention to and we you know without being racist <laughs> i don't know how how to throw that one out. I think a, a bigger, smarter thing to pay attention to would be water diversion. If you are out in the middle of the forest service and you see water being diverted to a different uh, location and it's obviously fresh, that's not normal. Nobody's supposed to be farming up there, right? That's an indicator. If you see um, the obvious things are greenhouses and pipes that you know divert things and 
uh, downstream sludge that's created from the excessive uh, fertilizer use. You, just farming practices in a place where there shouldn't be a farm is just as good of an indicator as, you know, groups of people moving into the small towns where there wasn't before and there's no industry industry to support it. So there's no reason why that should happen. Does that make sense? I feel like I had to beat around the bush on that one because it's, you know, it can go, go south really quick on that one. So, so for the most part though, it's really uh, those people in the survival prepping community who spend time, you know, in the backwoods and off the grid that there's the potential they could stumble into a grow up. And it's probably a wise idea to get out of Dodge as soon as they, you know, encounter something yeah. like that. And know what it is that you bumped into. Don't just come up there and think, oh, maybe someone owns a little piece of land and they've got a greenhouse right here in the middle of the Forest Service. No, <laughs> that's not how that works, right? Um, I'm a big proponent of education and being armed, right? It, the the big equalizer that we have to take strength and the, the the equalizer that stops the bully is a firearm, right? Whether you're a small frail this and that, or you've got a, a non-popular sexual orientation or whatever, the thing that you can do that equalizes is a firearm. But a firearm is just a tool that's going to get used against you if you don't have training. So a firearm is an absolute answer. Training is an absolute answer. And knowing when and how to get out of Dodge. You run into something that you're over your head in, turn around and get out. It's been a while. God, God made plans. Oh, made a sequel. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's been a while since I looked at the stats, but last time that I looked at firearms, uh, homicides in the state of Florida, that 70%-ish of them were people being shot with their own gun. Yeah, if you don't have... And, and that, I see people like carrying that 1911 in a, in a, a non-retention holster on the back of their hip. I'm just like, what are you doing? Right. And I'm not, I'm not saying don't open carry. I'm not saying don't carry. I'm saying don't be stupid because it is really easy for some junkie to take the gun from you. I don't care what ninja skills you've got. There's a reason why highly trained law enforcement, special forces, soldiers, green brace, Navy seals, they all use retention holsters for a reason. Right. It's not because, you know, their, their manhood is in question. So training will teach you that, uh, combatives training, shooting training, it will teach you how easy it is to lose your firearm and have it be used on you. And I wish there was more education on that. I think education is the answer to all these problems. Another thing, and you just kind of mentioned that whenever there is the introduction of another, uh, uh, whenever there is the introduction of a concealed permit into an area, there's always a crime spike. I call that the leveling period, right? So you've got these bullies in the area, these gang members, these people that are that are creating the crimes. And then you give the, for lack of a better term, sheep an ability to defend themselves. They kind of wipe those bullies out real quick. So when you see those crime spikes, remember that sometimes that's actually a positive thing where the populace is fighting back against the uh, gangs and so forth. And it almost always levels out and stays at a lower crime rate afterwards when you introduce the ability for people to defend themselves. Yeah. So we're getting a little bit off topic, but I did come yeah. across a, a multi-year study last year or the year before that was looking at the relationship between concealed weapons permits in a zip code and crime rates. 
and it was done nationwide and across the board in those zip codes where there was a higher concentration of concealed weapons permit there was a significantly lower crime rate period across the board so there's a significant correlation there but just to kind of stitch all this together you know everybody's aware that there's a lot of money involved uh, with these drug cartels and in recent news of course we've got el chapo's son who was supposed to be extradited to america and the sinaloan cartel uh, killed a whole bunch of people i think i read that the last uh encounter was 29 people were killed just in that one encounter so his extradition to the united states is on hold uh doesn't appear on the surface that there's a whole lot that the average joe can do with regards to this other than like you said we always talk in terms of situational awareness i hadn't thought of it until you mentioned it but for people who are going you know off the beaten path if they stumble into something that appears to be a grow up they should get out of dodge uh, as fast as possible because uh, you know there's the potential they could either be perceived as a threat for reporting the grow up or it could you could be perceived as a rival who's there to raid the grow up and it's really not a safe place to be and at the end of the day of course we're strong proponents of the second amendment and carrying being able to defend themselves so i uh, appreciate y'all's time today uh, we're going to wrap up there um, if y'all have any questions, uh, please leave them in the comment section, uh, input as well. We'd love to hear that. And thanks for tuning in to survival dispatch news.